to know whether you know all the details of whatever I've preached or when Brandon preaches or in your life groups that you study God's word and hopefully you're in a life group. Uh, those are important to understand and remember the truth, but it's for the purpose to not simply inform you, but to change your lives, to transform you. And, and so we're going to see God's tests given to a man named Abraham, which then reflects upon where are we at spiritually. And, and wherever you are in your journey, some of you might be far from God, some of you might be uh, kind of on the fence there, and some of you might be as best you can wholeheartedly trying to, to follow after him. But we're, we're going to test that uh, through God's tests to a man named Abraham. So a theological perspective, a, per, a personal perspective. Well, let's look at it theologically for a moment. Uh, we are at Genesis chapter 22. And before Genesis chapter 22, there was Genesis chapter 21. And we are in a season of seasons. Uh, we've just had the Thanksgiving season and we are just entering into the Christmas season. I got to share with you just a, a, a personal, a personal just heartache. This, uh, this past Thanksgiving, we had a great time around uh, with family there and friends there as well. And, and then I went outside, and, and I was looking at our neighborhood, and I was looking out at our streets and everything that was there. And, and I saw someone putting up Christmas lights on Thanksgiving, and then he actually turned them on. I mean, it, Thanksgiving wasn't even over, and Brian, Bur- oh, excuse me, Brian Burns had his Christmas lights on. I mean, he couldn't even get over Thanksgiving. Well, I want you to understand that, that God, is, God is into Thanksgiving. I don't know as much as Brian is, but he, he's into Thanksgiving. I mean, into Christmas as much. Let me get that right. Even on Thanksgiving, God is into Christmas. Maybe not as much as Brian, but he, he wants us to know about Christmas. All right. And in Genesis chapter 21, we, we saw that. Uh, remember Jesus when he was here and after, the, after uh, the crucifixion, he came up to the two men on Emmaus. And if you know the story, let me tell you the story. He asked me, you know what's going on? And then they said, we have no clue what's going on. He said, well, let me tell you. And he just didn't tell them what had just happened. He went back in the Old Testament. And let me tell you about the promised one and what had been said about him. And we'll never really understand Christmas unless we understand that Christmas is all about the one who was prophesied to come. And he came in so many different ways for us to understand him. And I'm not going to re-preach last Sunday's message, but... But real quickly, I I want you to understand that we need to always see Jesus when we read God's word, even in the book of beginnings, the very beginning book, the book of Genesis. And what we saw here was a picture of Jesus through the life of Isaac, who was the the son given to Abraham and Sarah. If you have your outlines this morning, I'm just going to run through those things. And, And this is what we need to understand about Christmas. It's more than a cute story about a baby in the manger. It's the one who was promised to come from the beginning. And it's pictured in the life of Isaac. For instance, both Isaac and Jesus were from the line of Abraham, which eliminates a lot of us from being potentially the Messiah, the promised one to come, and all through history. Secondly, an, an exact time was for their birth. In, in, in Genesis, it talks about Isaac's time was a set time. In Galatians, it says about Jesus, it was in the fullness of time. Uh, number three, it was a long time before fulfillment. Uh, remember the promises given to Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a child? <laughs> 25 years they had to wait. Well, for God's promise, for the promised one to come, Jesus, it was as, at, at least 4,000 years before that promise came into being. Fourthly, there was the supernatural announcements. The angels were the ones who, who wrote out the cards, sent out the emails, did the texting and saying, there is going to be a birth. Fifthly, 
the, their mothers doubted. Uh, when, when they heard about the child that was going to come, they, they, they responded both in the same way. How can this be? For Sarah, it was, I'm too old to have a child. For Mary, it was, I have not been with a man. Both named their children before birth. Isaac, who was, who was known as Laughter, and Jesus, the one who came to save us from our sin. They both had miraculous births. For one, bringing life to a dead womb. For one, to bring a virgin birth. Both were unique sons. And we need to recognize that, that Jesus is the one and only one in which we can come into a relationship with the living God. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Both were obedient to death. And both showed life coming out of death. As you think about that, the, the life of, of both Abraham and Sarah were dead to the ability to bring a child. And as Jesus went into the tomb, the story about that is out of that tomb, God granted life. Well, that's Christmas in Genesis. Well, if that's true in Genesis chapter 21, in Genesis chapter 22, we have the Easter story. And in it, we have, again, the picture of Isaac again being like Jesus. If you, uh, since you're all theologians, they'll use the word types and antitypes or prototype. Isaac was the type and Jesus is the antitype or prototype. That will be on the test. You've got to remember that term, right? Is that what, what Isaac does through the hand of God and Abraham is pictured what Jesus would do. And we're going to see that story in a moment. But basically, God asked Abraham to offer up his, his son, his only son, the son whom he loved. And I want you to make him a burnt offering. And as we think about it, that's what Jesus did because of what the Father had called him to do. He, he was the offering for us. And you see through Isaac, Isaac, who was a man. In fact, as you look at the chronology of here, it's quite possible he was the exact same age Jesus was when he went to the cross. A lot of times when you look at stories about Isaac and, and Abraham offering him up on the, on the altar, you think of, Jesus, of Isaac being a little boy, a lad, a, a young lad. But it's the same word used later on for, for the men who followed them up to uh, Mount Moriah. And it's quite possible that between Genesis chapter 21 and Genesis chapter 22, there was as much as 25 to 30 years. And it was 30 years. Here you have the picture of Isaac, a man, voluntarily being willing to be an offering because of his love and obedience to the Father. And as you think about that, as he, as he went, he, they, they split wood and Isaac was the one who carried the wood up to Mount Moriah, just as Jesus carried the wood on his back. And as Isaac was put on the altar, it says that the wood was placed before him. And just as Jesus was put on that wooden cross, so Isaac was as well. And you see all kinds of other parallels. It was a three-day experience, just like Jesus was three days in the grave. And just as you see that not only within that, that you had the two men that went with him, just like the two men on the cross. And so as you look at this strange story, and if you look at it from a personal perspective, you begin to wonder, how, how could we believe? And we just sang about the holiness of God, God calling some father to offer up his son as a sacrifice to him. And yet we'll never understand Genesis chapter 22 unless we see the Easter story. Just like we won't really understand Genesis chapter 21 unless we see the Christmas story within that announcement of the birth and the birth of that young child. So also will we not understand Genesis chapter 22 unless we see the bigger picture. And and in many ways, as as we read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we'll never understand it unless we see the story of Jesus within it. 
And God's announcement that he will be honored, he will be glorified, and he will be the one who provides the way for us to know him. But as we look at this, as we look at from a theological perspective, that God wanted us to see Jesus in the life of Isaac and Abraham, picturing the heavenly father and his willingness to give up his, own, his one son, his only son. We see within the text that, that God does not simply want us to understand the bigger picture, God's story and our story. He, he wants us to understand. He wants us now to live that out. It's one thing to know the stories of the Bible. It's one thing to even know the, the direct statements that God challenges us with in terms of responding to what he has to say to us. It's another thing to live it out. And so all this morning, I want us to understand that, that, that God is going to put us in the exam room. And he says, I don't care where you are in your journey. It's not a match how much you know factually or informationally, but I, I, I want to look into your heart. And I want to understand if, if you really get it. Have you come to that point where it's not just lip service, but it's who you really are? So let's look at God's test as we look at, at this text from the personal perspective. God tests his people. Look at Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. Now, now it came to pass after these things that God, what's the next word there? Tested Abraham. Now, some of your translations, you have old translation, they'll actually use the word tempted. He tempted Abraham. He didn't actually tempt him. When God, the difference between temptation and testing is, again, the motivation. It, it, in, the, in the New Testament, it's the exact same word. And so you need to understand the context and know whether it's someone trying to entice you to do evil or, or someone giving you something that he wants you to pass that will confirm what's really in your heart. And I want you to understand, as, as God gives these tests, he wants you to pass them. Have you ever been in an experience where you were wondering whether the, the teacher wanted you to, to pass or fail? Uh, some, some teachers seem to get the light. They give hard tests so that most people don't get it. I remember being in some college classes, they would, they would say, okay, now in this room, I want you to look to your left and to your right. Uh, the three of you sitting right there, two of you won't be in this class at the end of the semester because you'll fail. God's heart is no one would fail this test. And God did not want Abraham to fail this test. In fact, even God knew that he would fail this test. It would not fail this test. God never asks a question to get any information. He already knows the information before he asks the question. God never gives a test. He doesn't know who's going to pass and who's not going to pass it. But he wants our faith to be confirmed. Genesis is the book of beginnings. And we're going to see even in this chapter things that begin right here. This is the first time the word test is ever used in the entire Bible. And it's the testing of God to the life of one who would come in relationship to him. And he wanted to confirm that what was shown on the surface was real inside. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What, what's the first test? It's the love test. It's interesting, again, this is the first time the word love is actually used in the Bible. 
And it's, ne- it's not used in the context of the, the love of a, of a man for his wife. It, it's not used of the love in relationship between two people who care about each other in a friendship relationship. It's interesting, not, not even used in relationship to a man to God or a woman to God. It, it's used in the picture of a father for a son. Again, if, if we're not careful, we could go back to the theological perspective of all, but... But isn't that really the, the greatest expression of, of love that, that God has revealed to us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Son. His only begotten son. And it's interesting, even in the New Testament, that the first time that we see the word love in the New Testament is in relationship of God the Father to his, to his son. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it says that, that at, at the baptism of Jesus, the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. That's repeated also in Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. And then the first time the word love is used in the gospel of John is in relationship to God loving the world so much that he sent his son. And, and so we have, we have God testing Abraham to say, will you give me that which is most valuable to you, most precious in your heart? Will you love me more than anyone and anything? Now, we know that the the love challenge is throughout the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 22, we won't have time to turn all these passages, but we know that the Bible, uh, when Jesus asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. We know in Revelation chapter 2, 4, that the, the church was a very healthy church in many ways was, was challenged. I had this one thing against you. You have left your first what? Your first love. But I do want you to turn on this path. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Can you imagine... In whatever shape or form, God would test your love and say, would you be willing to give up your child? Would you be able to give up your best friend? Would you be able to give up that which you care about more than anything else for me? And you see this theme repeated repeated in the New Testament as well. In Matthew chapter 10, we have, uh, we have Jesus We'll start at verse 34. Do you not think that I came to bring peace on earth? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. But I've come to set man against his father, a, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I guess that's not that hard right there. But verse 36. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Then we have this statement. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then kind of the Easter story there. And he does not take up his cross and fall after me is not worthy of me. He's testing our love life and saying, do you love me more than anything or anyone in this world? And that same idea, turning over to Luke chapter 14, we have that that said stated in a way that almost sounds more challenging and yet. It really is understood in the context of, of Matthew ch- chapter 10. 
But in Luke 14, he says, again, of his disciples, challenging them with the love test. Beginning with verse 25. Now, great multitudes went with him, and and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. God has given us a love test. And, and we, we can explain our relationship with God by saying, I, I prayed a little prayer, whatever it was, and, 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 and that means I've got, I've got a ticket to heaven. But, but God's looking beyond words that we say to him and mouth to him. We, we can sing all kinds of worship songs and proclaim our love for him, but, but God looks beyond the words that we say. He said, do you love anything or anyone in this world more than me? Well, what's that supposed to look like? Because our our feelings and emotions range from A to Z all the time. I I don't think God is trying to challenge how much our heart jumps up and down every time we think about Jesus or every time we open up the Bible or every time we hear someone preach or every time we try to do something religious. But he's looking in our lives. If you really love me. then show it. Look at John chapter 21, verse 17. He said to him, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know, all these things, you know that you love me. And Jesus said to him, what? Feed my sheep. Can I make that a principle? Basically, what he was saying, if you really love me, Peter, then then obey me. Just do what I've told you to do. Now, if we ever lose a sense of motivation for why we ought to love God so much that we would be willing to do anything he ever tells us to do. All we need to do is not not so focus on how much am I loving God, but how much God has loved me. That's how you increase your love. It is to think of how much God has loved you, which is the whole Easter story. He gave up his one and only son so that we might come in relationship to him. To me, one of the most challenging passages in all of God's word is, is found in. In Luke, chapter seven, verse 47. Uh, it's the end of the story, but Jesus is in a, in, in a home in, in Simon and and he is uh, had this dinner party and all of a sudden this woman comes and. And begins crying and, and washing Jesus' feet and then wiping it with his hair. And, and Simon is filled with disgust. And, and Jesus, Jesus basically summarizing the whole point said this. You know, I came into your house and <laughs> you didn't even give me water for my feet. There, there wasn't much respect or care for me at all. But you know why she loves me this way? Because he who or she who has been forgiven much will be the one who loves much. When our love grows cold, or even as we're considering about whether we want to enter into this relationship with God, there's a couple things that will cause us either to delay that step of faith or grow cold in our faith. And it's our misunderstanding of how much our sin saddens God and is an offense to God. And if we don't have an idea of how much we have broken the heart of God because of our sin and rebellion against him, then we'll never know how much it costs God for that sin 
to be forgiven. And when we forgive, when we understand how much God has forgiven us, our love will grow deep. And when our love grows deep, we'll do anything that God asks us to do. So God gives Abraham the love test. And the love test, will you obey me? And as we think about the love test, then, it's, then it gets down to will we trust him? And that's the second test, the trust test. Look back at Genesis chapter 22. And here we, we see the story of Abraham's life being tested. Beginning in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of the young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he, he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young man, stay here with me. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and, and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he, and he took the fire in his hand and he, and he knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said to my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. And so here you have Abraham asked to do that which is overwhelming, to take his, his son, his only son, and put him on, a, on an altar. Now, what we have here is the challenge of would God ever ask someone to do something so horrific like sacrifice his son to, to appease him or to show him love? Would God actually allow that to happen? And maybe you've heard stories about mothers who get distraught with their children and they they drown them in a, in a bathtub. Or, or maybe they leave them abandoned. And, and, and then when they're interviewed, they're asked, well, why did you do that? And, and, they, and they respond because, what? God told me to do that. And, and this is the challenge that Abraham had. Can, can, I, can I trust that, that God somehow will, will not allow this horrific thing to happen? Sometimes when... When God asks us to take that, that step of faith, and, and we're, well, how, how, how could I do that? And we ask ourselves, well, will God come through? And, and see, that, that's the challenge that, that God wants us to give. That's the test God wants to give us, to test him, that we can be obedient to his clear word, and he'll come through. The book of Hebrews is the, is the commentary on this passage, and Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says this, by, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Which again looks back at from the theological perspective, this, is, this Isaac was a picture of Jesus. But Abraham had to believe that, that even if somehow he sacrificed his son, that, that God would bring him back to life. 
In Hebrews 11.8, it says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. How do we show that we love God? How do we show that we trust God? We do so by obeying him. There's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 15 in which uh, Saul is doing off, kind of doing his own thing, and he's confronted by Samuel, and, 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 and Saul is responsible. But I, I worshipped you. I, I made sacrifices for you. I, I, I did some things on the surface. And Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. As we think about whether we really have begun that journey or want, even want to begin that journey, it all begins to, to come to that point. Do, can we really love God more than anyone or anything else in this world? Can we obey God by trusting him that he, he will come through? And that whatever he asks us to do, he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy to be trusted. There's one other test that, that God gives Abraham in this account of the picture of Isaac and Jesus in this Easter story. And that's the fear test. Let, let's, let's look at the rest of the text here. Verse 9, then, then, he said it, then they came to the place of which God had, had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and, and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his, his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And, and the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I, I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and if not without your son, your only son, I will bless you. And then verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In recent days, I would say within the American church, per, per se, is that we often will talk about the love of God and understand how much God loves us and we understand how much God loves us and then it ought to provoke us to love him. We often talk about the idea of trusting God, putting our faith in him because God comes through, God will provide. But we've lost the sense of having the fear of God. The, the, the issue of fearing God is that Looking at Psalm 111, verse 10, kind of gives us the idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. I think we've all been in situations, whether it be in the home or, or being at the workplace or, or being on an athletic team. And, and, and if the coach tells us to do something and we don't do it, what happens? <laughs> There's consequences. 
There's a healthy fear that we don't respond how the coach has told us to, to play, then we're going to be on the bench. But often with God, we have this sense, well, you know, God will forgive me. Uh, you know, God will understand. I, 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 don't, I don't need to do this now. And God does understand and God does forgive, but there's always consequences. There would, have been, there would have been the loss of intimacy between Abraham and God, his heavenly father, if he chose not to obey him. But he was more concerned about what God thought than anyone else. As we enter into this Christmas season, we enter into the season where, where God has brought to us the promised one. When we enter the Christmas season, we need to recognize that as we think about the Christmas season, that the Easter story unfolds that the one who was in the cradle is the one who went to the cross the one who came to share us the good news is the one who had experienced the wrath of god before that good news came into being and and as jesus went through all that he went through his love for his heavenly father was tested his ability to trust god for the unbelievable that he would be he would be separated from his God at death, God the Father at death. And he needed to recognize that in the midst of all that could be fearful in this world, there's only one thing to be fearful more than anything else is to be somehow separated in his relationship with him. But it all gets down is that we show that we love God, we show that we trust God, we show that we fear God when we obey God. In John 14, 21, it says this, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved my father, and I will disclose myself completely to him. What in your life right now? Are, are you struggling not to know what to do, but the willingness to do it? Maybe it's in a relationship that, that needs to be broken off. Maybe it is in a relationship that needs to be poured into in terms of your love and your commitment to. Maybe it's some things at work in which you're recognizing that that you're being challenged to be honest when everybody else around you is not honest. Maybe it's it's just the ability, as we looked at last week, the, the ability to, to be able to speak the truth and not somehow believe a half-truth is a, is a partial lie when actually a half-truth is a full lie. Maybe it's those people in your life that you know that you, you, you need to share your faith with and yet you've, you've held back. Maybe it's being involved in a ministry in which you, you know there's a need and, and you can meet that need and yet somehow you're, you're waiting for someone else to step up. Maybe it's the willingness to forgive someone who's hurt you deeply. Maybe it's the area in which You're angry at God and, and yet you need to recognize that God can be trusted. You've been, you've been hurt and you wonder, where was God? Why didn't God show up? And God said, look at my son. Look what I was willing to give up for you. And the results of sin in this world, there's going to be evil and there's going to be pain. But there's coming a time when all that will be taken away. Maybe it's your future. Maybe you're so concerned about what might happen, you're not, you're not living 
today and the opportunities in front of you? What is it that, that you're so preoccupied with that you can't put your focus and attention upon the one who, who's, who's given his plan to you? When, when I'm challenged with the idea of when my love is tested, when my trust is tested, when my, my fear of, of the living God is tested, it all gets down to the issue of obedience. Am I willing to obey what God has has told me to to live out and to be faithful to? Often we wonder, why doesn't doesn't God speak to me? And and some actually believe that God does speak to them on a regular basis. But let me just tell you, I'm convinced God doesn't speak to us, but what he's done, he's written to us. And let me tell you, in relationships with people, I would much rather someone write down a commitment to me than speak it to me. In fact, legally, it's much better when it's in what? It's in writing. God has already told me more things right now that I'm struggling to obey. You don't have to worry about God telling you sometime to wake up in the morning and sacrifice your son or sacrifice your daughter. Sometimes I'm wondering if God will ever tell me to sacrifice Brandon. I prayed about that, but, you know. You know, God's not going to do that, Okay. And if, if you wonder, it's interesting, most people who look at this text between chapters 21 and chapter 22, those were the silent years. God didn't say a word to Abraham between the birth of Isaac and the weaning of Isaac until the point where he said, now sacrifice him. And if you wonder if you could ever qualify for God speaking to you, well, then the next time God does something miraculous in your life, like giving you a child when you're 100 and your wife is 90, then come talk to me, all right? As you look at the Old Testament, you look at the New Testament, God rarely spoke. And to, uh, very few times did he speak, and the people he spoke to were the very few, the elected ones, that gave out his message. We've got plenty to deal with already in this book. We don't need another word from God. We need to simply obey the words of God that he's already spoken. I want to close with this. It's interesting, one of the things that was stated about this passage is that when Abraham trusted, he would trust that God somehow would provide for himself a sacrifice for the altar. Some actually translate that, that God would provide himself for a sacrifice on the altar. God, God is the one who brings life out of death. There are some almost crazy illustrations of this sometimes where, where, where we think there's life when there was death. But God is the only one who actually brings life from death. Did you read that story? It was actually uh, about a month ago. It was in CNN. One holiday known as the Day of the Dead, a Brazilian bricklayer walked into his own funeral. The site of Admir Jorge Concalves, alive, shocked relatives, some who tried to jump out of the windows of the funeral home in the southern Brazil. In my 10 years in the business, I have never witnessed a scene like this, said Nathaniel, manager of the funeral home in the Piranha State. On November 1st this year, some family members and friends had identified the victim of a car crash as the 59-year-old Jorge. They scheduled his funeral for the following day, Dia de Fanados, a holiday when Brazilians remember loved ones who have died. When the family got together, they did not know that he had spent the night drinking at a bar near the side of the crash, but he was not the victim. When the bricklayer got word of his funeral, he showed up at the funeral home Uh, on that Monday morning. Now, tell me that wouldn't have been a funeral to go to. (laughs) Somehow the one who was dead was actually alive. 
as one has written in a newspaper one time, the reports of my recent demise have been greatly exaggerated. But God is the one who just doesn't change the identity of the one who actually died. And a, a day later, they discover who that was, who actually was in the crash. But he is the one who gives life. He is the one who sent his son to go to the Calvary, to die that horrific death for us, so that when he would rise from the dead, that we could have life. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus in a personal way, this is the day to begin that journey, to believe that God is worthy of our love, are worthy of our trust, worthy of our fear, because all that he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, some of us this morning, we can think of specific areas in our life where we don't fear you, we fear men. And there are other places in our life where, Father, we know that we're not trusting you, but we're, we're trusting ourselves and we see how weak we are and we feel we cannot make the steps that you want us to take in relationships and service and commitment and falling through and being honest and living out what you've called us to live. And other times, Father, we, our, our love has grown cold because we forget how much you've loved us. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you in a personal way, I, I pray that they might just admit their need to turn from themselves and turn from their sin and turn to you. That they would believe in their heart that Jesus, just like Isaac, was, was, was willing to die, die on our behalf, and actually did die on our behalf, and rose from the dead to give us victory over sin. And might they make that commitment to follow Jesus, Lord, God, and Savior, and begin it by simply saying, Lord, I want to know you. Come into my life right now. Change me on the inside out. Help me to love you more, trust you more, and be more concerned about what you think than other things. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.